Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eCampus News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in EdTech on the higher ed level. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. In this episode, we dig deep into some heavy-duty tech, everything from blockchain to virtual reality to enterprise resource planning. So get out your acronym glossary and enjoy. First, a new report from the American Council on Education that outlines the outcomes and best practices that have emerged from the Education Blockchain Initiative. That's something that was funded by the U.S. Department of Education and included something called the Blockchain Innovation Challenge. Now, I'm not going to pretend to explain to you what blockchain is. I'll leave that to the experts in the report, which you can find up on the news site with the title, The Next Evolution of Blockchain in Higher Ed. But here it is, a nutshell definition anyway. Blockchain is a technology best known as the underpinning of the first cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. We've all heard about that. Still might not know what it means. It is a type of shared distributed ledger technology that uses an agreed upon and encrypted process. So what does that mean in the real world? A few winners of the challenge makes things a bit more clear. So first, Randa Solutions, in partnership with the Utah Department of Education and others, developed a digital wallet where teachers can store and access their credentials, their licenses, and exemplars of practice and securely share them with entities such as state licensing systems, human resource departments, and learning management systems. Then there's the University of Arizona in partnership with the Georgia Institute of Technology, FLURI, and the John Gardner Institute for Excellence in Undergraduate Education, they created an open transfer exchange system that will facilitate student progress towards graduation by making the transfer articulation process more transparent. And then student one, the Nebraska Department of Education and the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services replaced a current manual paper process for guardians of systems involved students so that they could provide legal and verifiable consent for services for their minor child and the associated data sharing that is required to effectively provide for those services. So what we're talking about here is making transactional data systems safer and more efficient. I think we can all understand that. Next, there's a really interesting post put up by Filipos Savides. He's the Associate Director of Learning Technologies at EdPlus at Arizona State University. And Peter Van Lusen, and he's the Director of Learning Experience and Student Success for EdPlus Design and Development, also at ASU. And they're writing on the use of VR in higher ed. I myself have been skeptical of this particular technology for a long time. But maybe it's just taken a long time for it to get to the point where virtual reality can have real implications. Maybe this is the time. Anyway, this article is posted to the news feed with the title, Higher Ed Needs More VR More Than Ever. Here's some of what the pair had to say. They write, what makes VR compelling for teaching and learning are its two profound affordances, the feeling of presence and the agency associated with manipulating content. Combining the two produces unequivocally real experiences, thus making a compelling case for educators who are looking for opportunities to expose learners to experiences that are out of reach or impossible to replicate in a physical environment. 
In a virtual environment, learners get unlimited practice, manipulate time, perform high-stake tasks without risking injury and death or, or physical damage. For example, as non-experts, medical students can perform serious surgery without the risk of injuring their digital patient, nor running into ethics problems. That sounds pretty good. Also, they write architecture students could use VR to improve how they create designs for clients, immersing them in their space without actually building anything. The applications are endless. So they also go on to address some of the skepticisms that, that I have, and they, they continue on here. Uh, they write, despite VR's ability to broaden access to new worlds and experiences, our responsibility as educators is to make the industry aware of barriers to expanding educational institutions. Foremost, it is vital to recognize that some experiences remain inaccessible for learners with physical impairments. When designing these experiences, it is crucial to consider learners with impairments in mobility, hearing, cognition, low vision, blindness, and age. Keeping all end users in mind, including diverse voices, and continuously considering and advocating for accessibility are a few things we could do to prioritize accessibility when designing VR experiences. Once we can address these challenges, VR is truly a universal and meaningful option for educators to revolutionize learning experiences across institutions and beyond. All right, I think they might have me convinced now. And finally, I had the pleasure of a conversation with Dennis Miller, Associate Vice President of Human Resources and Benefits Administration at Claremont Colleges, Erica Sandoval. She's a partner at UKG Strategic Advisory uh, about another great disruption in higher ed IT infrastructures. Look for it under the webinar tab entitled Uncoupling HCM from Your ERP, Empowering HR with Tools to Enhance Engagement. Again, with the acronyms, right? We touched upon many different topics, including how colleges and universities can achieve appropriate staffing levels through better management of labor costs and staffing needs, how to pay employees correctly with an automated solution that reduces the chance for errors, and to improve the employee experience by aligning people, processes, and technology to help and retain workers. Here's a highlight. So let's get into the nitty gritty here a little bit and you know, the specifics of this particular topic. Now, as a you know, education technology reporter, I've written about ERP systems for, for many, many years. And the general jive I would get is the more functions, the better. You know, we can put that in, we can add this in, we can add this in. When I saw this topic, I was kind of intrigued about the idea of decoupling a pretty major part of a, you know, of a process from what I see as the overarching engine of, of any IT infrastructure. Dennis, talk about, uh, is that, was that something new to you? Was that something that you were wishing for? Give us kind of a, a perspective there on what the decoupling is all about. I've experienced it myself well before the pandemic and uh, had a very, very positive experience with decoupling the HCM from the ERP. And I'll talk about that just for a few minutes. Uh, talk about the, the pre-state and the post-state. The pre-state, when the ERP did everything, they did HR, payroll, certain level of timekeeping, things were okay. They were inefficient. They were okay. They, they got accomplished most of the accounting work that needed to be done. But the reality was, was the HR and the payroll functions, they were add-on modules to the ERP. So they could be a standalone or they could be um, an integral part of the ERP, 
you know, for example, a customer could have the, the payroll without the ERP, which, which was okay. But the reality was that bolt-on scenario created process deficiencies, which directly impacted employees. And, and what I mean by that is think about, think about student workers. They're always the easiest example to talk about when I, when I think about payroll, HR, and timekeeping. Student workers, uh, they move frequently. And they move really frequently. And if they're working, which many of them are on campus, usually they're in low, low paying jobs and they need, I mean, they really, really need their checks, which often are very small. And when I say need, I mean, they're watching the clock when the, when the check is supposed to arrive. And if that check doesn't arrive at that time, or if it arrives and it's incorrect, you have serious problems. Now think about that for a minute. What do you think that student does if they're waiting on their check and it hasn't been received? Well, they ask their coworker, hey, did you receive your check? Yeah, I got mine, right? Oh, I didn't get mine. Well, what should I do? So now the discussion ensues. Now that student who is really there on campus to earn a degree is now distracted in a very meaningful way. They may have bills to pay. They may have gas to pay for. Their tank may be empty and they're waiting on that check with just enough fuel to get to the bank to cash it to go to the gas station. And it's a real situation. And now think about all the people that student has spoken with about the missing check. And how did it happen? Well, it happened because when they submitted their change of address two weeks ago, it hasn't hit the system yet, right? So the check was mailed, but it was mailed out to the wrong place. So that's where it begins. So then they gather up the steam and energy to arrive at the payroll department. Hopefully someone is there that can help them right away. They're in a panic. Now, whatever the payroll team is doing, now they stop what they're doing and they address that problem and they get that person their check. And if you have enough of those things happening, you really have, you know, 5, 10, 15% of the workforce and payroll fixing those kind of problems. In the pandemic era, post era, I should say, before we get the pandemic, and post um, the post model, which included decoupling the HCM from the ERP, vaporized that type of process problem. Uh, it was really, it was really transformational uh, in the context of process and giving employees, student employees, all employees, the ability to have a self-service portal so that they can go in in real time and change your address 15 times in a month if they want to, so that wherever they live, their address is correct, so that when they get paid, that check arrives at the right place. And that one small thing drove drove a lot of a lot of problems and a lot of a lot of negatives with the employee experience. Very, very impactful. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on ecampusnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the ed tech space in higher ed. Ecampus is always free and always helping innovative educators just like yourselves. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for Ecampus News.